Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. These are my first pair of prescription glasses. I'm 50, how old am I, 53, 2, 3, just had a birthday, my mom. And, yeah, 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 be good. Um, And I've always prided myself on my vision, you know, because, and and I actually can still read road signs from about a half mile away. Still read the lettering and things on, on, but I was sitting probably, I don't know, a couple, three or four weeks ago, and Leanne and I talked about getting our eyes checked anyway, and I was sitting three or four weeks ago and watching a, a baseball game on TV, and, and the, little, the little mini scoreboard, you know, that they put up in the corner that shows who's on base, how many outs, and all that kind of thing. I thought, you know, they need to bring the resolution up on their graphics because their, their graphics is just, you know, it's not, the resolution is not good enough. I could see the guys playing, see their numbers even, follow the game, but I couldn't see how many outs there were and all that. And I thought, man, if it just increased the resolution, and, and they're too small. It seemed like they're making them smaller and smaller up in the corner. And I, got to the, I got, finally came to the realization that it's, it's not the resolution of the graphics, that it was my eyes But in, in, this, in this mid-range. Now, you know, as you know, I've been wearing cheaters from the reading glasses from the drugstore for low these many years. And, and, but my intermediate vision, I never noticed until I just started noticing tiny things on TV. And I could, you know, I could see, okay. I mean, I could see that, you know, Tammy had on an orange shirt, but I can tell with these glasses, there's some purple on it too. So, um, my intermediate vision, when I went to the doctor to have, have my eyes checked, she says, you know, anything going on? I said, well, I'm, I'm doing okay with readers and, and my distant vision is really good. It's, you know, no problem there. I said, it's between probably six and 25 or 30 feet that I'm having an issue now. She said, okay, well, let's, let's do a checkup. We'll test, see what's going on. So she, she dials them in, you know, and all this and better or worse, better or worse. I mean, you, if you've been, had an eye test, you know how all that goes. And, and she finally dialed in the thing. Oh yeah, that's the, that's the deal right there. Write that number down, whatever that number is. That's my number. So <clears throat> I finally got this, picked these up last week and, and sat down and, and they're, they're great for, for here because I can see you and read at the same time. Not great for reading, but they're okay. They need to, they need to widen the, the bifocal part on the top that, that allows you to read. But anyway, I'll, I'll take that up with my eye doctor, um, not you. But they're great for, I, now can, I, I can see the scoreboard. I can see there's a guy on first and second, there's two outs, it's three, two count. You know, I can see all that and I thought, what? Why, could, why didn't I do this a long time ago? And so as I, as I began to see that my problem was not the graphics, the problem was my own vision, my own blurred vision. And seeing this, in, in this intermediate range, I had to decide, okay, am I going to do something about my blurred vision or am I going to just you know, keep squinting and backing up and, and blinking? You know, I think, well, it's, maybe it's a film over my eyes. No, it's my eyesight. And so once I got beyond denial and I began to see it's my vision that's the problem, then I began to see, okay, what's the solution to that? That's all together and then some about what this passage is about tonight in Mark 8. And it's, it's not, and he, you'll never see the word blurred vision mentioned here. In fact, he doesn't even talk about vision at all. But he talks about some things that allow us to, to, I think, look deeper than just what's on the surface with where folks live. Just on the surface with what we see, what we're exposed to in their life. Now, whether that's relational or circumstantial, that's up to you and your own world and how you 
how you interpret things around you. But we're all, we're all looking, many of us are looking through dimmed, blurred glasses at things that God wants to see at a deeper level, whether it's an individual or a circumstance that we need to interpret differently and we know what to look for. So let's look at this passage in Mark 8 and um, come back and glean what the Lord would have us glean there. For, uh, cha- uh, verse 14 um, through 21 of Mark chapter 8. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread. Except, now, let me back up and say, two or three weeks ago, we looked at Jesus feeding the 5,000. You remember that story? We kind of broke it apart. The story we're skipping here in Mark 8 is he feeds another 4,000 folks here in the, at the beginning of Mark 8, and they take up, uh, with, with seven loaves of bread, feeds the 4,000, they take up seven basketfuls of fragments left over. So have that point of reference in your story. The disciples had forgotten, verse 14, to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Come back and explain that verse in just a minute. They discussed with, uh, with one another and said, Is it because we have no bread? Aware of their discussion, Jesus said, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you, do you still see or do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls uh, of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. And he said to them, do you still not understand? Do you still not get it? Do you still not see the significance of these two things? Or all you're looking at is a, bunch, is, is a package of miracles. Do you still not see the, the, the behind-the-scenes things that I want you to get as followers of mine? as the 12 from which I'm going to launch the New Testament church. I want you to see these and get these things. Now, here's what I believe he's trying to get them across uh, or get across to them. Um, first of all, that, that blurred vision keeps us from seeing initially what we need. And he explains that to him in verse 14. The disciples had forgotten to bring, bring bread except for the one loaf they had with them in the boat. And my admonition tonight is that we need more than one loaf. We need more than just one exposure to him and whether that, that exposure to you is on Sundays here, whether that exposure is in a community group, whether, we need more than one loaf. We need more than one source of a diet. And here's why. You and I as believers are wired, and in fact, uh, Acts speaks of this in the second chapter of Acts. We looked at that in our study of Acts a couple of years ago now. We need in our spiritual diet a constant uh, uh, exposure to the Word, to worship, and to community. Those are three essentials that are mentioned in Acts chapter 2. The disciples devoted themselves to, to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the prayer, and the fellowship. Well, to the apostles' teaching is to the word. To the breaking of bread and fellowship speaks to community. And to prayer speaks to worship. Now, if we need these, these three things in our diet on a regular basis spiritually to grow, then you can understand why one loaf, one exposure a week, one exposure uh, whether it be, uh, you know, you may be into radio preachers or you may be into TV preachers or whatever you're, whoever you follow, and it's fine, all of that's fine, but one exposure, one singular diet, piece of that diet, is not enough to sustain us. We're wired to need that. In fact, we can stay at home and have church, but we can't stay at home and have community. We can stay at home at worship, but we can't stay at home and have fellowship. We can have fellowship at McDonald's, but we can't have worship there. We're wired to need these, these things from each other and from the Lord. And so what he's saying to him here is one loaf. Don't come to a meal with one loaf of bread. You're going to come ill-prepared. If that's all the exposure you have, if that's, if that's all the sustenance you have, you don't have enough. 
So he exposes there in verse 14 what the need is. And if we, I want to use this, this, this pause here for a commercial. If all you're getting is on Sunday, you're not plugged into community group, you're going to miss a lot of things God has for you. And if all you're getting is, is maybe community group, or all you're getting is, is a fellowship or a Bible study or, or, or from a book, you're going to need more than that. You're going to need, and I'm not, please don't hear me say you, you need to get plugged into religious busyness, that your schedule needs to get deeper than what it is. No, my diet needs to get deeper than what it is. My, it, that can do so without my schedule changing, but my diet needs to, needs to encompass those three things. It needs to encompass word, it needs to encompass worship, and it needs to encompass community. And when we have those, th- those three things, we're going to grow, we're going to be nourished in essence. The second thing is this, is that keeps us from seeing what should be avoided. Look at verse 15, and this is the verse I told you we'd come back and explain. Be careful, Jesus warned them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. The yeast of the Pharisees? What the flop is he talking about with the yeast? Yeast here is a metaphor. It's a metaphor for the way things are done and what is seen and what is not. It's, it, it, it has nothing to do with, with real yeast. It, it has to do with ways and results. The ways things are done and the results that they bear. Now, literally here, uh, he, he's saying, don't get your focus on the things that you shouldn't focus on. In essence, when you look at bread, yeast makes it grow bigger, but wheat gives you your nourishment from it. And he's saying, if you're just looking at the yeast, you're going to look at the, the size, and you're going to determine God's goodness or his bigness or his blessing based on the size of where you live, based on the, 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 the calculable uh, evidence in your life of goodness, badness, blessing, curse, whatever. The size of the church d- determines whether it's doing anything effective or not. The size of the business determines whether it's really successful or not. The size of, the, you know, the size of a person's wallet determines. And he's saying, if you're looking at those things, you're looking at the wrong thing. Because yeast is not what nourishes you. Yeast is what makes the bread rise. The wheat in the bread is what nourishes you. He's not, of course, he doesn't literally say that here, but he's using yeast as a metaphor to say, if you're looking for the yeast, if you're looking for results in the things they're looking for results in, you know, they told you, and we looked at this last week, these guys are eating with unwashed hands. I mean, they're eating with unclean hands. And if you're looking for the trappings of spiritualism rather than the substance of spiritualism, you're looking for the wrong things. He says, get to the wheat. Yeast is fine. It makes the bread rise, and it, and it gives it a flavor. But the wheat is where the nourishment's at. And if you're just looking at the yeast, you'll miss all of that. Um, there's, there's um, back in the 80s, in the early 80s, I used to write and record jingles for two or three ad agencies here in town. One of the projects we were working on back then is <clears throat> for Western Sizzling Steakhouse. Now, if you're under 40, you have no, I mean, if you're under 20, you'll have no idea who, what Western Sizzling Steakhouse is because it's a, it's a now defunct uh, a steakhouse chain. But they were, they were pretty, uh, pretty vibrant back in the 80s, late 70s and early 80s. And, and, and my, a friend of ours, or, or a co-worker in the studio and myself were writing this jingle for Western Sizzling Steakhouse. And we, we got a couple of rough drafts written and recorded and sent to them a demo. And they sent it back and they said, you know, we really like the, the sizzle sound at the end of the jingle. We put a, we put a little, you know, and they make it sound like the steak's over a fire or something. We really like that sizzle sound. We want that all the way throughout the, the thing. And we were talking about steaks and, the, you know, the, the meat and the taste. I don't forget, forget now what the lines were. But anyway, what they were wanting us to sell was the sizzle instead of the steak. 
And it never dawned on us until we got back in the studio and we, we put all this sizzle sound in there and it totally masked over everything else of substance that we were trying to say with their ad. And the things that we thought they were trying to get across with the radio, radio ad and what they were trying to get across was the sizzle, the atmosphere, the ambiance, the smell, the, not the meat. <laughs> and so, and I'm not, that's no bad reflection on Western sizzle and doesn't have good steaks. You make that determination for yourself. I mean, they're gone now anyway. But as we started to, to think about that and, you know, we thought, is that... Are, we selling, are they selling the right thing? They're selling the sizzle instead of the sake. And oftentimes we'll look at that, and, and that translates into our world. We'll look for the packaging before we ever take the chance to open up and see if the product is going to work or not, if the product is worthwhile or not, if it's a value or not. Um, and we're so package-oriented in our culture. I mean, you look at the way things are marketed and the way things are. In fact, I've, I've alluded to this a number of times here um, in front of you before that challenge you, in fact, to go back and look, look and listen to commercials that are on TV and listen to how many times you hear the word you deserve or you need in an ad. You deserve, you deserve. And whether it's clean hair or whether it's a new car or whether you deserve that. So our mentality is that the packaging makes us, the package of this product or this product in our life will make us feel better about ourselves. Well, no, it won't. It'll just give us clean hair. <laughs> and driving this car will help us get from here to there the same way the clunker would but only with a $500 car payment a month. And so th- this, this whole idea of, of our being conditioned in our culture to look for sizzle instead of the steak is altogether evil, if you want the truth about it. It's, it's straight out of hell, and, and as, as Steve Brown says, it smells like smoke. We need to cut through those kinds of things, spiritually speaking, to see where is the substance. Where is the substance in this Christian writer's Stuff. Where is the substance in this song, Christian songwriter's stuff? Where is the substance in, and as I was leading worship for many years, and Rick and I have had conversations about this dozens of times over the years, of how oftentimes music that is, that is, that is lyrically, and some, sometimes musically, but certainly lyrically so thin, people gravitate to. And it says nothing and does nothing. And oftentimes a song written, really taken from Scripture or written to, uh, as a byproduct of scripture never goes anywhere and it has such meat to it and it says so much and you think man I, you want people to get the substance as, as opposed to just the, the flash you know um, and that's what he's talking to them about here in this in this whole idea of the yeast is i want you to i want you to look for bigger is not always better i want you to look for better if better happens to be bigger fine but better is not always better I mean, bigger is not always better. So if we're looking for better, we'll not be focused on bigger. If we're looking for substance, we'll not be focused on sizzle. If we're looking for sizzle, if we're looking for bitter, if we're look- bigger, if we're looking for flash, if we're looking for something in a slicker package, that's what we're going to find because there's plenty of it out there to find. But if we're looking for something substantive, um, we're going to have to look a little deeper um, because it's, it's, we have to dig beyond the surface to see that. The third thing is this is that it will give us, uh, uh, it keeps us from seeing what will give us understanding. Look at verse 16. They discussed with one another and said, it is because we have no bread. <laughs> and, of course, you see his response there. No, 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 you're not getting it. But their thought was, he's, he's getting on to us because we, don't, we didn't bring another love. No, no, he says, you're looking for the wrong things. You're looking at the wrong things. And he, he determines to give them understanding. He wants them to give, give them understanding here in these verses following. But their discussion, uh, basically, and, and I want you to see this, their discussion led them to see the immediate over the immeasurable. You know, we looked at, at a couple of weeks uh, a couple of weeks ago how 
we, we in, in, the, in the feeding of the 5,000, how one of the things he wanted them to see in asking and telling them, you feed them, was I'm going to immeasurably give you all you need to feed them. Now, I want you to feed them. I want, I want, I want to see what you have to give to these 5,000 people. But what I want you to know is I'm going to give you everything you need. I'm going to keep blessing what you have and blessing what you have and blessing what you have so that even though it didn't come from me, the blessing comes from me and you use it for my glory. Now, if we're not looking for those kinds of things, if we're not looking for the substance of what he's saying over how it's packaged, we'll miss that. Um, Several years ago, you'll remember when, when Bush ran against Gore in the first Bush presidency, this term came to light. First time I'd ever heard it. Maybe you've heard it before. First time I'd ever heard the term gravitas. But gravitas began to, and, and, and you could hear it over and over and over in the media as if they were calling each other and saying, let's use the word, you, let's, let's describe the need for the president to have gravitas. And what gravitas was, was grandeur or a package of, of esteem and, uh, to, to have some respectability. And in essence, went to this whole idea of, of grand over good, of big Bigger over better. And when we're conditioned to look for those kinds of things, guess what? That's what we'll find. When we're conditioned to look for better, we can find that too. But we're going to have to dig a little deeper for it. We're going to have to search a little harder for it because in our culture, it's hidden. Almost uh, sometimes it seems like on purpose. Um, If we want more understanding, here's here's one, and we'll speak to this a little more in just a moment. But if we want more understanding, we're going to have to move on what we already know. And that's part of what he he follows up, verse 16, to tell them. But if we want to see God work in our life, if we want to to get what he's up to and understand the things that he's about, we're going to have to move on what we already know. Where you and I often find ourselves is planting ourselves in a secure, stable position here where we can fend off the enemy and we can fend off things. And we want God to give us more and more and more and more and more so we can continue to stand and fend it off. Yet the more he gives us, the more understanding we lack because we can't see oftentimes the motive of what God's up to. We can see him working in circumstances around us. Or we may be in the middle of a hard place and see him working in the middle of the hard place and not seeing our circumstances getting any better and wondering, why aren't my circumstances getting any better? I mean, God told me he's never going to leave me or forsake me. He told me he's got a purpose and design to everything in my life, yet my circumstances are still the same. Why are they not any different? Large, in large part, I think they're not any different most of the time because we don't move on what we already know. We're waiting for more from him when we know enough to make a difference around us. To to let our faith become actionable to where it starts to penetrate the lives of our circumstances, the lives of our relationships, the lives of people will bring us greater understanding. Why? Because the, and I've talked about this a number of times, the, the, the expending of that spiritual energy will create a hunger and a void that will need to be filled by he, he and his word. No spiritual energy expent we're just, we continue to be sponges and they're never squeezed out. Well, the more they're squeezed out, the more understanding we have, the more, or the more mo- we move, the more we have understanding. And we, in essence, we need more action and less analysis. Most of us are, uh, are, are far guilty of staying in a place, staying in a comfortable place, and trying to analyze what God's doing, trying to analyze what he's up to. And, and we'll, we'll sometimes get out a pen and paper, make some lists. Like, okay, here's some things God's done. Here's some th- Why is he not showing up in this over here or in that? How in the world can a 12-year-old kid like Saxon Cochran get cancer? How, why is God not up to something more over here than he's what, what he's up to? And, why is, and we start analyzing things, and we, we find ourselves in, in, this, in this position of, of analyzing the work of a holy and almighty God. I mean, first of all, how dare we do that? 
Secondly, we miss seeing what we need to see for, for lack of moving on what we already know. The analysis gives us no answers. The action on what we already know and what we've already d- digested gives us greater understanding. That's what he's telling them here in just a moment. Now, as we go on, corrected vision. Uh, corrected vision, first of all, reveals the problem. Look in 17 and 18. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Um, in essence, we're looking for the wrong things. He, 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 he brings revelation to them that we're looking for the wrong things. We're consuming, we're consuming yeast of the Pharisees. We're consuming the sizzle instead of looking for the steak. We're expecting substance in that, but it's, it's really not nourishing us. We're consuming the package, and the product is not nourishing us because we're, the package has no, no value. There's, this makes me think there are two, there are probably more than this, or hybrids of these, but there, there are basically two different kinds of people that live out the Christian faith. There are two, diff, two, two different kinds of Christians as I've observed and as I've walked through this life. There are, there are the experiential Christians and there are the incremental Christians. Neither of these are bad necessarily, by the way, but the, but the, the, the experiential Christians tend to go from event to event. Conference to conference, revival to revival, weekend retreat to weekend retreat. They tend to go from experience to experience, and the, the, the afterglow of this one experience leads them longing for the next and carries them over to the next experience because that's the only place they can really find God. And he show up in their life in a significant way is in the experience, in the event. The incremental folks, are, they're more steady eddy. I mean, they are, they are less experiential, and, since, and in some sense, they, they really don't need that. And you look at, I look at, at incremental people sometimes, and I realize, or, or, you know, I think, will you ever get motivated? Will you ever get, you know, can we, not, can we never involve you in this over here? Or would you never step up to grab this over here? And they're not event-oriented. They're more incremental in their nature. Ne- those are neither good or bad, just observations to, to where you can, you can begin to, to determine. And, he, and, and I think what he's laying out here for them to say, you see, but you don't get it. You're, you're, you're trying to get understanding, yet you're looking for the wrong things. And, and I, I think he's, he's speaking here some to not only the fact that they're spiritually, have been spiritually, their vision has been spiritually blurred, but perhaps they've been circumstantially looking at the wrong things too in the feeding of the 5,000, in the feeding of the 4,000, in the miracles that Jesus has done. They're looking for these actionable things that, that you know, they can write down and record, and he did this, and he did this, and, and, and Jesus did this, and rather than how that changed them. And what he's saying is, these things, need to, these things you've been a part of, the feeding these people, the miracles, the things that'll explode you, they need to change you. Not just the people that gets the miracle, not just the demons, the God had a legion of demons. They need to change you. You're witnessing that. You're experiencing that. You're walking with me through that. That needs to change you from the inside out. And has it done that? Well, these, these experiential folks are often sprinters. I mean, they sprint to the event, they sprint to the next event, and they sprint to the next, whereas these incremental folks are distance runners. You know, you've been watching the Olympics, I'm sure, on TV. And, and I, I, I think it was yesterday, sometime yesterday, I was watching it. Uh, good grief, it was huge. At 10,000 meters or something, I think, was the race. And I thought, goodness gracious, <laughs> get in a car and drive. I mean, the, the, it was like, you know, 12 commercials later, they're still running. You know, I'm thinking, man, I, I, that just, I had no concept of that. Now, I ran a little bit of track in middle school and, and some in high school, but I was, my legs were too short for distance, so I was a sprinter, and I never, I never understood distance runners. In fact, I never understood cross-country runners that run cross-cross. I never got it. 
I never, they, and they just loved to run. I mean, they would still keep running. You've seen this commercial. In fact, the guy came in, uh, got the silver medal in the 10,000 from USA, who has this commercial about, I don't know, some, some book on his phone or something. He's, he listen, you know, he's listened to this, he's got 17 volumes, and he finishes all 17 volumes, and he draws up Moby Dick. And so he opens Moby Dick, and he takes off running to Moby Dick as if he's going to run and run forever. And sometimes, I mean, they just feed on that, and they enjoy that, and it kind of gives it. And I never, I never got that. I never understood that because I was get to the finish line and what's the next race? Get to that finish line and what's the next race? And get that, that, that was my mentality when it came to track because that's the only thing I've been exposed to. Neither of those are, are good or bad. But we need to have understanding of how different folks are wired. And because of how we're wired differently, we're going to perceive the same thing God does in a different way. That's why he's taking these 12 aside to say, don't focus on the yeast. Get to the substance of things. And even when you get to the substance of things, you're going to understand it in different ways. You're going to grasp it and glean the good from it in different ways because of how you're wired. Now, not only does corrected vision reveal the problem, but it also reveals the solution. Look at 19 and 20. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls did you pick up? They answered seven. Two things are happening here in these two verses. What he's sharing with them is that, first of all, he is the God of substance, the God of sustenance, the God of abundance, the God of more, the God of all you need, the God of immeasurable. That's the one thing I think he wants them to see. The second thing he wants them to see is that they, and in in speaking to us tonight, we are the vehicles that he's going to use to reveal all of that, all of his immeasurability, all of his hugeness, all of his bigness to the world. We are the vehicles that he's using to, to do that, to reveal that. Now, if it's, um, and, and I think he's, he's, he's doing that in, in essence by taking them back to these two, these two most recent illustrations. What he's saying to them, you know why those 12 baskets full gathered up? Because there's 12 of you guys. So what I wanted, to use, what I wanted you to see in feeding of the 5,000 was that I wanted to use you. I wanted that event to change you. Not so much for people to be fed and for, for, for them to be exposed to the miracle. Great. But I wanted that experience to change you. Those 12 basketfuls were about the 12 of you. You know what the seven basketfuls that you collected up from from the 4,000 that we fed? That was about me. That was about you seeing, and anytime you see the numbers seven in Scripture, that's a number of completion. That was about my being everything and more to you. My being totally adequate to you, totally complete to you, giving you everything you need for every situation you'll ever face. And so what he was saying here in the balance of these two things was, those 12 basketfuls were all about you, and the seven basketfuls were all about me. And what I want you to see is I am immeasurable, I am abundant, I am always more, but I need to use you. I've designed to use you to get the truth of this out to folks. Now, whether they got that or not, I don't know, because he's saying, do you not get it? Do you see, but yet you don't understand? I want you to get this. I want you to understand this. And so, yes, those are, uh, those are deeper things. Those aren't, aren't things for most shallow Christians to understand, and I get that. And I understand why some of them didn't understand it, but he, he desperately wanted them to see it. He desperately wanted them to, to, to grasp that. Now, um, here's, the, here's the hard part, is that he, his using us, his wanting to use the 12 to be a vehicle to his bigness, to his, to his immeasurability. Getting them to see that the 12 was about them and the 7 was about him, I'm going to tell you what I believe about this, and, and I, I don't know what they were experiencing then, but here's what I believe we're experiencing now is that oftentimes those things about God that he wants to reveal through us to the world are better revealed, are more quickly seen and noticed through hardship, through a hard place. 
I think the size, the magnitude, the bigness, the, the completeness, uh, 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 the total adequacy of our God is best seen in a hard place. When our life is blessed, when our life is clicking, when our life is going along, you know, most folks will attain that to hard work or, or being in the right place at the right time or blessing or whatever. Folks can see whether our God is real, whether he's complete enough, whether he's enough for any circumstance when we're in a hard place, when we're walking through a dark spot, when it's, when, when it's difficult for us to see God anywhere, yet he's everywhere. And we're wondering, can he use this? He can say, I can use that and that and the next thing and the next thing. Keep walking. Keep walking. Keep moving. And, I, you know, I wish it wasn't that way. But it is often that way that God is more readily seen. His bigness, his immeasurability is more readily seen through the 12 baskets than through these seven that he provides and says, here I am. I can do it all anytime I want to. Yet, I want to use you. I want to, I want to take your experience, your circumstance, this event, this, and share that with your circle of influence and consequently with the world. Lastly, um, well, here's the scripture that comes to mind before we move off of that. And that's this. In, in John 4, um, you'll remember the story of the Samaritan woman coming to the well. and He has this conversation with her about the well. And, and it, well, let's turn there. In fact, you don't need to uh, turn to John chapter 4. And I want you to see this because this, this may be a, an underlinable moment for you for, to, 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 as a scripture you want to go back to and revisit over and over again. John chapter 4, uh, verses 13 and 14. They've had this conversation, and Jesus answers, verse 13, Everyone who drinks this water from the well will be thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up, overflowing continually, bubbling up to eternal life. Now, I think what he was trying to get these 12 to see and trying to get us to see tonight is, if you want to... If you want to Drink and get thirsty again. If you want to eat and get hungry again, go after the yeast. Chase the packaging. Go for the sizzle. If you want to see more of me, cut through that stuff to get to the real product, to get to the steak, to get to the meat, to get to the truth of something. Cut through the packaging to get to it. Now, is that hard to do? Sure, it's hard to do. Is it difficult in, in, in the midst of a hard place, in a hard circumstance? Sure it is. But I want water that I'll never have to thirst again, don't you? I mean, I want to experience it I'll never forget from him, don't you? Or do I, do I continue to want to go back and back and back and say, God, can, we, can, we re, can you remind me of your goodness again? Can you show up again? And, and I almost hear him say, saying, to, like he's saying to the twelve, don't you get it? I've always been here. I've never left. I've always been your sustenance. It's never been anything else. It's never been you. It's never been your parents. It's never been your friend. never been your spouse. It's always been me. I've always been that. Now, that takes a person who's willing to dig for that to see that. Because I'm going to tell you, the enemy's going to cloud our, our vision with so much yeast and so much sizzle and so much packaging. A person's going to have to dig to see that. And if you want it, you'll see it. And, and that's what he's telling them. You're going to have to go after it to get it. Finally, though, corrected vision reveals our need. Look at verse 21. He said to them, do you still not understand? In essence, their greatest need was recognition. It's our greatest need, too. It's our greatest need to recognize him and to recognize really a couple of things. One is what he's up to in us and then what he's up to through us. And I think he wanted the 12 to see that. Do you see what I'm up to in you? But I'm also up to something through you. 
what I was up to in you is about these seven basketfuls collected up to, to show you that I'm, I am totally complete. I'm totally adequate. What I was up to through you was you're feeding the 5,000 with what you had, the five loaves of two fish, and you're seeing those 12 baskets gathered back up to see that that's, that's something I wanted you to do. That's something I laid in your lap, laid in your hands to carry out. And did you do that? Were you, were you obedient? Now, in us, I believe he wants us to move to a deeper place. I think he wants us to understand him in a deeper way. I think he wants us to move beyond the yeast and get to the wheat, to move beyond the sizzle and get to the steak. That ta- as I said earlier, that takes some effort. But what he wants to do through us uh, is, is broader. I, I think it's more revealing. It's more uh, allowing other people into our world to the extent that they see the circumstances in our life and begin to see God at work, not only in them, but in us. And they begin to examine that and say, you know, how can I, how can I get in on some of that? How can I walk through, navigate a hard place like you're doing? And maybe not with the greatest ease. Maybe it's a struggle for you to, to be in a hard place. But how can I navigate a hard place yet continue to go, continue to move, continue to believe that God has a design for all of this? How do you do that? How does that work? Those kind of questions are great questions to, to prompt from people. How does that work? How, does, how do you continue to, to hang on to God when I can see God changing? He hadn't changed a single circumstance for you. Nothing's gotten better, and you're able to tell them, God's doing something in me. It's not about my circumstances. It's not about the things I can see and touch. It's not about the yeast. It's not about the packaging. It's about what God's doing in my heart, because what he's doing in my heart, you know why you're asking me that question? Because I'm still hanging on to him in a hard place. That's why you ask me the question. Is he enough to hang on to? What prompted that question for you to ask? Those, kind, those, are, those are great and valid and, and, in fact, eternal conversations to have. I'll see it this way in how God wants to use us. We are both his cooks and his canvas. We are his cooks in the sense, and, and, and I think both these illustrations that he's reminding them of, of feeding the 5,000 and the 4,000, reveal both, the, both these things. He, we are the cooks, in essence, that he wants to sustain uh, use us to sustain and feed and pour into other folks, prepare for them, uh, uh, bring them to the table so that they can see what God's doing and they can feed off of that. We're also his canvas in the sense that, that um, we are exposing those kinds of things to the world. We're exposing those kinds of acts of God in us and through us so that they can be seen and made evident. As I say, oftentimes even hard times. Now, the question begs, what kind of canvas are, are people looking at? What do, they look, what do they see when they see your life? Um, in fact, here's a couple of examples. That's a picture from, that I took from up at Cades Cove that, you know, quite obviously declares the beauty of the Lord. I mean, you can go up in Cades Cove, and I don't know how people walk away from Cades Cove and other places like that and realize or believe this just happened. I mean, this just formed out of some cell in a pond somewhere. No, so there was a design to this. God is a designer God, and he painted all that. I mean, he imagined all this and created all of this. Or, uh, I'll throw the second one up, Rob. I think sometimes our, our canvas looks like this. It looks like stick art, and people are having to say, is this all you got? I mean, is, it, is this it? Is this all there is? And, and the, this, this idea of our being cooks and canvases for people, I, I think is something that should overflow out of the cracks of our life, not necessarily intentionally to say, come look at me. Come look at what God's done in my life, what he's doing in my life, but they'll see it if we'll live it. We don't have to knock on somebody's door. Nothing wrong with that. Knock on the door and share Christ. But we don't have to beat somebody's door down 
to share with them what God is doing in us. That's going to happen out of the cracks of our life. That's going to happen at work. That's going to happen at dinner with someone. It's going to happen with, with a, a conversation that we didn't even anticipate with maybe our kids play t-ball together. Or, or, that's going to happen in, in the most inconspicuous places we'll ever think because those kinds of things are contagious. Those are the kinds of things God uses to expose him through overloaded baskets, through a complete number of sets, to expose him to the world that says he's enough. And if I stayed in this hard place for the rest of my life, if I stayed in a dark place, if I stayed in a hard he's still enough. Where, where else am I going to go? He's still enough. He's still complete. He still gives me everything I need in every situation. Why? Because he's God, because he's immeasurable, because he is abundant. Now, um, as, I, as I saw that picture of Cage Cove, what, you know, what came to mind is um, our VBS, Awesome God, Amazing Power. There you go. And, and, that, and these, lives that you and I, these lives that you and I live in, these little, these little lives of these little kids that were in VBS, they need to see God's painting a canvas through me. And he's wanting, he's wanting other people to see not only his majesty in nature, sure, that's obvious, but even more important than that, his majesty in me. This is the canvas that God's sending out into school, that he's sending out into some place to work, that he's sending out into a grocery store, that he's sending into a bank, that he's sending into a dinner. He's sending this canvas that he wants me to expose to other people that are in my sphere of influence. Those are the folks I'm here and destined and designed to reach. Well, this is a deep truth here tonight. So maybe, maybe the fact that there's just a few of us here tonight is, is, is by God's design. Here's what I want you to get, these application points. And that's this. You, and there, there are three that come to mind, and maybe you can think of more. But you may be here tonight, and, you, and you're saying, I can't see any of this. I don't get this. I mean, it's great. And all this yeast is a metaphor for this, and, and you know, and the package and the product. It's, I'm not getting any of this. And perhaps the reason you're not getting any of this is because you know about God, but you don't know him. You, you've been to church. You've heard a lot about him but you don't have a relationship. The Spirit is what brings that kind of truth. The Spirit is what brings that kind of revelation to the heart and to the mind. If the Spirit's not indwelling me, I'm getting information off of a page. I'm hearing someone share about it, but it doesn't resonate. And it, does, it, and it will never resonate until the Spirit's in there. So if you need a relationship with Him, please don't leave the night without, without letting me know that and, or, or talking to someone you know there's a believer that can help you with that. Maybe you're here tonight and you say, I see it, but I don't understand it. Uh, yeah, I, I see that, but I don't get it all. Or I see what God's doing in my life, but I don't understand it all. And I would admonish you tonight that probably you're in a situation, likely you're in a situation where you need more than one love. I mean, you need more than one singular exposure. You, your, your diet needs to expand. It needs to include worship. It needs to include the word, and it needs to include community. And if I'm not, if I'm not getting those things on a regular basis, I'm not going to see what God wants me to see. I'm not going to be able to, to digest all that he's doing in me and let that flow back out of my life into someone else's life. Maybe you're here and, and you need more than one loaf. Or you may be in this third situation and saying, I see it and I understand it, but I'm not seeing a lot of results in my life. I'm not seeing a lot of fruit in my life. I, I get it. I get what you're talking about and I get why, but I'm not seeing the results of the fruit in my life. Here's my admonition to you. And it was in part his admonition to them. Quit analyzing and start acting. Less analysis, more action. 
Start to look at the things God's doing from a standpoint of on the way rather than when I get it all. When I understand it all, then I'll move. And the enemy keeps us in those places because we never, we never think we know enough. I don't know enough scripture. I've not experienced enough of this. And th- th- this idea of completion, this idea of, of, of my being have, having something of substance to share with someone else, the enemy tells us, if you, you're, gonna, you're on the way. You're on the way. You're getting there. Hang in there. You know, just maybe a couple more courses for you, a couple more 13-week studies in this, a couple more Bible studies for you, another Beth Moore thing. And all those things are great. I'm not, I'm not bashing any of those things. Don't get me wrong. But it's always the next thing with the enemy. It's always the next study, the next book, the next song, the next experience, the next, con- the next conference, the next this. It's always the next thing with the enemy. And what I think God's wanting us and, and encouraging these 12 to do is move on what you already have. Move on what you know. Move on what I've given you. What have I exposed you to? I mean, look at, look at the things you've seen here just in the last few days, he's telling them. Move on that. Don't wait on more. You've got more. You've got it all. That's what these seven basketballs collected were about. You've got it all. You've got all you ever need. Move on what you already have, on what you already know. I'm convinced if we do that, God will give us more, and our understanding will increase. Less analysis, more action. I don't know where you find yourself tonight, in one of those places, or maybe a tweener state in between there, but whatever it is, I want to encourage you to make tonight an action place where you draw a line in the sand and say, if I don't get it, and the reason I may not get it is because I don't know him, man, I don't, I, need, I don't need to leave here tonight without relationship with him. Or if I'm here and I, and and I, and I see it, but I don't get it, I, I need more than one loaf. I need to expand my spiritual diet. And I need to make sure these things are a solid, routine part of my life because they bring understanding to me. They bring a, a sense of enlightenment to my faith that I've never had before. Or I see it and understand it, but I'm making no difference. I need to move. And tonight needs a place where I draw on the sand and say, I need to move. I don't care what it looks like. I need to move. I need to step into, into, into life, into ministry, into relationships more than I do. And whatever that looks like for you, would you just find yourself in a place of obedience? You know what obedience looks like to you. That's what the Holy Spirit speaks to our heart about, is moving us. Here's an opportunity for you. Here's a, and often for me, it's you missed it. <laughs> that conversation the other day, it was about me, and you missed it. And so we need to move on those kinds of things when God creates those opportunities and opens those doors. I hope tonight uh, the encouragement he gives the 12 and to us out of that will challenge us and move us and stir us. Father, tonight thank you for the power of your word and the fact that it can and does and should always motivate and change us and reveal to us where we are where we're not, what our faith needs, what it doesn't. And tonight as you've reminded us here of the fact that you are all and then some, and we'll never, we'll never be what you want us to be, sitting around and hanging around, carrying around one loaf, carrying around one dimension of our faith. We are, and you told us in your word in Acts, we are wired for worship. We are wired for the need for word, for your word, and for the need for community. And we need that. Um, we need relationship with you if we don't know you. We need to move. We need to act on the things you've already done in us. We need to move on what we already know to be true. And to look the enemy in the eye who's saying, no, just one more. Just one more course. Just one more study. Just one more verse. Just one more song. One more experience. And we need to look him in the eye and say, I've had enough. I know enough to change the world, to change the world around me. I need to move on what I already know. Would you give us the courage to do that? Because the enemy's going to be after us, as he often is. Would you give us the courage tonight to move on what you've revealed to us, on what your spirit has shared with our hearts, what your word has said? 
Would you join those two things together as you powerfully do and as only you can do to speak to us and motivate, motivate us to move? Would you cause our, our analysis to, to be lacking and our action never to be lacking? Would you cause us to see the things that we need to see from you? We long for that. We long to know your nature, to know the ways you work, to be able to recognize when you step in and begin to do something instead of stepping all over it. We need to recognize what you're doing. Thank you for this kind of truth. It's um, sometimes hard to digest, hard to figure out. But when we break it down and we see, here's what you're about, here's what you're up to, it's really simple. You're up to doing something in us. You're up to doing something through us. Would you give us the courage to act on that? In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Crosspoint Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.